0: Hello, Internet, this is Chase Wassenaar, and welcome to the Steam Cleaners podcast presented by the Rough Drafts Podcast Network. I am your host today of this show, this lovely show of ours, in which we get to talk about some video games that my lovely co-host and I have been playing. Uh, Two different games, two or more different games, depending on how we're feeling, if we want to get a little spicy with it, Um, and they're different games than every other time we've done this episode together. And of course, when I am referring to my co-host that I have done this podcast with many a time and hopefully many more, I am referring to Walter Ciedes-Fetchuk. Walter, how are you doing, man?
1: Well, Chase, considering there's like 1,500 games in my Steam library, I don't think I haven't played. I think we're going to be doing this forever. <laughs> <In all laughs> yes. <I guess. laughs> Uh, you know what okay. i am i am doing good um we 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 batch record two episodes uh we record final cut and steam cleaners for the next two weeks at the same time uh so we're we're two weeks in the past as we're recording my partner has been back for for uh, about a week now um from uh, their trip to france and uh you know the the game i i picked for today there's a couple of little stories about it but i'll start with this one I texted Chase. I forget exactly what day it was, but I was having problems figuring out what game I was going to play. And then I finally texted him at one point. I was like, boom, I figured out what game I'm going to play because the universe gave me a sign of what game I should play. Uh, And then I had a nice little like list of things I wanted to get done uh, before my partner got back from France. And if you paid attention to my Twitter, you'd notice um, that that as of uh, as of Friday, two days before they got back from France, I had accomplished none of those things and watched a season and a half of Peaky Blinders. Uh, So unfortunately, (laughs) (laughs) unfortunately, uh, the Saturday uh, I went to a Syracuse uh, Orangeman basketball game with my dad that was a a Christmas present. Uh, And then my Sunday I spent doing all of the like chores around the house that I'd been putting off for 10 days and got them done before I went to pick her up from the from the airport. Um, So it was Monday and I was like. I mean, I can play, like, how long does that take? game take to beat, right? And I looked it up on how long does it take to beat, and it takes 25 hours to to beat. And I had, like, six. um. So I played something oh, no. different for the podcast today. And I'll save that game for the next episode, because I was still very excited to get it, and that is absolutely the next game that I'm going to play. Uh, but Chase, how, is, how has your last couple of weeks been?
0: You know, it's been good. I am... You know, I I think I've been turning this like intro segment into Chase gets to talk about board games because we'll never do a board gaming pod, but I sure do like to share uh, my passion for it where I can. And I am trying to get a Summoner Wars tournament going with my friends. It is such a fantastic game. The first edition was the game I played throughout college, uh, Kristen. Uh, who's been on the show a few times and I would, would go into town. We'd each buy ourselves a bottle of wine. We'd come back to my apartment and we would play Summoner Wars all day long. And I am so glad that the second edition of the game is just as good, if not better, than the first edition, which is saying a lot because I have a lot of very positive memories with the first edition that would usually be a kind of blinder, right? Um But no, it's a fantastic game, really well put together. I am having a blast playing with all the new decks that have come out. I just bought some new deck boxes, so it looks beautiful on my shelf. And, uh, you know, I I don't know uh, whether I will come to you or you will come to me first, Walter. But whenever one of us is in the same place as the other next, um, the deck box does travel very well. And I am very excited for you to get a chance to play uh, what is undoubtedly my favorite board game of all time. But, you know, like I said, this is not a board gaming podcast. Uh, This is a video game podcast. And since you didn't play whatever the game was that you need more time for, I imagine you played something different. And I'm curious what that thing was.
1: Okay, guys, listen, the game that I couldn't get to was Cocaine Bear the Game. I'm sorry. Like, you know, I just, I couldn't get it to it. Uh, no, you guys will find out in two weeks what that game was. It's, uh... Listen, it's it's a thrill ride. It's uh, It's fast-paced. But this okay. game that I played this week, I needed something... Short, sweet, kind of to the point. I only played one game because I didn't have a whole lot of time. So I went through the filter on how long does it take to beat. I had imported my Steam library to it. And I basically just scrolled down to like anything that was under six hours. And there were like a few of them. There's another one that I picked out that I'm going to do later on because it's funny. And I've like referenced it, referenced its subject matter a few times. So that'll be funny when I eventually pull it out and and play that and everybody be like ah oh, of course you played it like ah oh, great um and i i was scrolling through and i saw a couple that i've been like meaning to play for a while but i was just like ah i'm not feeling it i don't know why that sort of you know the the weight of indecision uh you know pressing down on me and then i came across a game that i hadn't really thought about but i remember seeing back in 2016 at PAX East. And PAX East is one of the very few sort of... It's the only convention that I've been to. It's the only, like, nerd gaming, you know, whatever kind of convention that I've ever been to in my life. And one of the few kind of nerd events that I've been to uh, outside of going to the uh, the semifinals uh, at Madison Square Garden. I believe that was in 2015. 17 the one the famous one the the tigers versus uh versus SKT and then the next day when H2K got blown out by uh by Samsung and then this past uh past fall going to the uh quarterfinals at, at MSG so when it I saw the name of the game it kind of stood out to me I was like you know what all right cool let me give it a shot chase i played moon hunters um Okay, what do you, do you know anything
0: about Moon Hunters or should I just kind of explain the entire
1: premise here?
0: I mean, I think you should explain the premise because I've played it for a whole hour and I don't think I ever finished a run. Gotcha. So Moon Hunters is, it, it's a cooperative
1: game, but you can play it solo. So it's very, it's kind of old school split screen where it's like, like a Splunky where you can have four people at the same time or whatever. Um, But again, I, I played it by myself. It calls itself a co-op personality test about exploring an ancient occult world in five days. How will you be remembered? Um, as for the actual like game style it is, it is an action role-playing game. Um, and it's a roguelike. Um, and I, none of these things, I didn't care about any of these things. My only thing was, I need something I could beat in like four hours... So I have something to talk about on the podcast. So I just dove into it. I loaded it up. I dove into it. The opening menu is a little bit confusing with, like, how I was supposed to start things because there's this, like, there's this, like, big branch of, like, pathways that kind of moves out from you. And and it kind of – it's not huge, huge, but it, like, it goes out a little ways. And there's all of these, like, blank spots all over the place. And you're trying to figure out, like, what these are. And this is your, like, collection menu. This shows all of the different, you know – aspects of the game, the roguelike part of it that you've you've touched and you found that then opens up the game more and more. And then to your south there's your options, your new game, your load game, your exit, so on and so forth. So I'm like, all right, cool. So I get into the game and you have these different classes that you get to choose from. Um you have, you know, your speed class, you have your you know mage kind of class, you have your like spear class, and you have your druid, which is just like a range class. I, I you know, in reality, I think they're supposed to be the range class that you play. So I played through the first run of it. And, and the entire premise of the game is that there are these fragmented tribes. And they all worship um, different kind of aspects of the moon. There are these four, um, four goddesses, essentially, underneath the moon. And uh, the plot of the game is that uh, the there's a sun cult... And the moon has stopped rising. It's not rising anymore. And you're, you're a hero of the tribe that you're part of. And your job is to go out and to try and find out what happened to the moon. And you find out, you know, like two days in, a sun cult worshiper um, accosts you and basically says, you know, we destroyed the moon so that we could unite the uh, all the tribes underneath the, the one king uh, and worship the sun because the moon is evil. And you keep going and you travel across this different map. And uh, basically, as if you don't go into a village, if you go into one of these, you know, actual maps, um, that counts as a day. So when you get to the end of that map, there's a place for you to set up camp and you're done for the day. And one of your five days ticks. Um, and as you are fighting around the map, you are trying to collect these opals, uh, and the opals are basically the currency, which you then trade in, uh, to a shopkeeper to enhance your abilities. Um, so the, my most successful run was playing as the druid class, this sort of range class. And one of their abilities is they throw out a, a wave of leaves, um, in kind of this, this, um, cone shape. And one of the abilities you can purchase is that it, it, um, lengthens the cone, but it, it um, thins it out, so it's much more precise. It's much more confined, and you're, you don't have to work as, as, at weird angles to try and get it to hit things. So, cool. And by the end of the fifth night, you then challenge the, this king, um, and you try and defeat him. And the first time that that I, you know, got to the king, because it's relative, it's an easy game. Like, it's a relatively easy game. I'm not going to say that it's difficult in any way, shape, or form, because it is a relatively easy game. Uh, The first time I got to the end, I lost to the boss with one hit left. If I had hit my attack button one more time, I would have won. Because I was just, like, button mashing. I'd figured out the combos, and I was just button mashing attacks. And I thought I beat him, and I didn't, and I died. So then obviously you die and the, the Sun Cult wins. They, they destroyed the moon. The sun, you know, takes over and all of the um, sort of the, the whispers of the tribes and everything, it just becomes legend. It becomes history. And they even talk about you and like the Sun Cult controls the narrative. So they talk about how you were like misguided right? And that how you had been brainwashed essentially by the, the moon worshippers, And then reality, you had been this great hero of the sun cult that kind of succumbed to your own hubris because of the toxic whisperings of the moon. And you go back and you're this little spirit and you've collected all these different things and it unlocks some things. It's now lets you start from different starting locations and depending on who you've interacted with over the course of the thing. After my first run, I had unlocked an outfit for one of the other classes and, um, Another character, that, another class that I can play, and all these little things. And part of the discussion is that with each trip you take out, more is added onto the legend. And more is remembered of the story and the correct way to remember events. And, you know, the second run I had, I beat the king. And that changes everything because then you win, but the moon doesn't come back.
0: Does that all make sense so far? Yeah, it it does. You know, I like I said, I I never really played it all the way through only because so much of how it was framed is very co-op centric. Like it's a co-op personality test is always how they kind of frame it on the Steam page. So I'd gotten to the point where the Sun Cult comes in. I, I got the kind of ancient Mesopotamian theming that was here this kind of reflection of these different myths uh that were used and i did appreciate this kind of procedural generation from a narrative perspective obviously like the game's endings are all meant to be very different depending on which character you play the choices you make during that journey and how the final battle shakes out which i do think is interesting but I always worried with it um, that because it had to be able to kind of handle all of these different randomized elements to accommodate the rogue-like nature of the game, that it meant that the storytelling was never going to be as strong or as sharp as I wanted it to be, given that all those themes you just talked about are really interesting at, th- at the core of them. So I guess these are honestly two different questions, but I'm going to ask them both now just to keep you on your toes. One, do you think that it stuck the landing? And two, do you think it would have had a better chance of resonating with you if you'd played it co-op the way that it was kind of designed? So did it resonate with me?
1: Um... Yes, I think it resonated with me because I do think those themes sort of stuck out. And again, I I played like four hours of this game because I wanted something quick and and easy and, you know, something I could talk about and kind of understand the game. I think I understand the game in the four hours that I played. And I think that there is a ceiling to how far they can go with these um, with these themes. Like because I played it for so short, I never doubled up on anything so i it, it didn't get repetitive to me, although i I will say the map generation got repetitive pretty fucking quickly um but it's procedurally mm-hmm. generated it was a game that was you know published in two thousand and sixteen It's an indie game like I'm not gonna fault them for that, um, but like the story elements didn't seem very repetitive to me just in the short amount of time that I played, and it did it It stuck out to me. I really liked this concept of like to the victor go the spoils the victor controls the narrative they get to change what the story is based on them surviving and their enemy dying and that is sort of comprised in the when you once you end a, a run your character is put up into the constellations into the stars and you can go read about that character and you will see a difference in your runs that end in a failure or losing to the boss and your runs that end in you successfully defeating the boss or also defeating the boss or the secret ending you know the variety that's in there um as for the second aspect i don't really know i don't know what the co-op is supposed to add, other than it is supposed to be. you're given a, a moral choice or a decision to make, and among the four of you or however many people are playing, you might differ on opinions, and maybe that leads then to different um, conclusions and different sort of mythos about the character that you played. I will say that the the little paragraphs that were built up for all the char- that, you know the, the, all the runs that I did were all very different. Um, and I don't think that's because, like, I personally, like, changed my personality. Um, but I think that, like, the decisions that were made at each of those points then created kind of these separate um, characters that, you know, reading the, the lore about them is like, oh, that's, that's, like, really interesting that you're taking those few decisions that I made and writing this kind of backstory and talking about this character and how, you know, after this thing happened, they, you know, went to become a teacher for the tribes and like teach the kids how to hunt and how to survive in the wilderness and how to track and like things like that. Um, so that was all very interesting. I I don't know what the co-op necessarily is supposed to add. Um, because again, like, maybe if there's more people in it, the game becomes more difficult. Maybe there's more enemies just because there's more people fighting, but the game wasn't, I didn't feel like the game was hard and it never really felt like the game was supposed to be co-op to
0: me. Yeah. The the problem that it has on the co-op function is that it's not online co-op. It's a shared screen kind of co-op and There's a part of me that wants to praise it for that, right? I I think that in general, we have like a lot of games, especially these AAA games, right? They all want you to play online in that kind of multiplayer format, and they've forgotten the joy of sitting on a couch and playing with your friends in that regard. But there is a hard limit on what a game is capable of when you're not able to have that multiplayer experience in the most convenient way possible. Um, If this is part of like, you know, you've mentioned a couple clear rough edges that are very understandable for an indie game. Uh, I think Kit Fox Games is a studio I like a lot and I'm probably going to talk about at least two of their games during the times in which I'm busy playing some much more extensive game and, and can't quite um make the time for it the way you know for a new thing every two weeks the way that I'd like to. Um they're very good at hitting the theming of a thing, of setting an atmosphere and of giving you characters that are easy to latch onto. But there are going to be those edges that are never quite as polished as they could be. And I think it's kind of fascinating uh to see that I guess, like at the end of the day, is there do you, is this the kind of game like do you think there needs to be like an updated version of it? Do you think that, given some more resources, this game could have done all of the things you would have wanted to, or do you think that it has everything you need to recommend it as it stands here's
1: I'm gonna say something that is going to um shock you to your core, is going to make you go, whoa, what are you... Whoa. This game feels like the great-great-grandfather to Hades. Hmm. It,
0: Interesting.
1: The, the roguelike kind of collection elements, it feels... If you told me that the people at Kit Fox Games created this game back in, you know, we're working on this game in the the early 2010s, published it in 2016, you know, uh, it was released on March 10th, 2016. So when I saw it in April, like a month later at PAX East, if you told me that the people from Kit Fox Games then went to Supergiant and they were the people behind Hades, I would go, that makes a lot of sense. The procedural world generation um you know kind of the mapping the way they do these things there isn't boss fights at the end of each map so that's a little bit different but having the class system that then gets changed into you know the, the weapon system that's in hades um just sort of the mechanics of like there's a movement ability there's an attack ability there's a special attack ability like all of those things reminded me a lot of hades in a very rough independent i don't want to say tech demo sort of way because that seems really harsh but kind of tech demo proof of concept way i I get it me saying me comparing it to hades is probably sacrilege because hades is such an incredible game but i could see it
0: it's just interesting because i wonder how much of that is like because if you look at 2016 like around roguelikes around that time right darkest dungeon comes out the same year that this game does um, we're a year before dead cells which i think is is a game that that people still talk about and i believe is just about to get an update with a castlevania style expansion which is kind of fascinating hand of fate came out the year before and hand of fate is one of my favorite games Uh, Ever Hand of Fate Two is better than Hand of Fate One, but like that was a game that I always think of as the one that like introduced this idea of procedural storytelling mixed with these defined encounters in order to really tell this different type of story. So I'm I'm it's just kind of fascinating to think about like putting it in its context how certain parts of this, I I can totally see um, how they might uh, lead to a game like Hades. But it also feels like they're just, this was a genre that had a lot of experimentation in it going around that time. And it's always interesting to see, I guess, which ones click with us and which ones we think match that, I guess, ideal of, of what you think you can strive towards. And so I'm glad that it it connected with you that way. It wouldn't have been the game I pointed to, but it certainly is among the games that inevitably led to that evolution of the genre.
1: I think it has to do with the the gameplay. Like, I get Darkest Dungeon is a a roguelike, but I don't think of that as any kind of ancestral, you know, precursor to Hades, right? It's, It's a roguelike, I get that, but I don't see a lot in terms of, like, the gameplay in Darkest Dungeon in Hades. Maybe that procedural-generated storytelling, I, I can. I can see that branching. But the gameplay of this felt so similar to bastion transistor i won't say pyre but because pyre's gameplay is different but hey and then hades and then adding on top the the kind of narrative storytelling that it chooses the fact that it is sort of these procedurally generated maps although they do get repetitive at time if you stay in the same area it's very the same biome very consistently uh and the myth you know the mythology that they use to inspire there is you know mesopotamian elements to it um the design of the sun cult in particular and the king who's the name i'm i'm it's escaping me and it's not sitting here on wikipedia um that being said if you decide you want to play this game uh now now here's where we go to recommendation uh we're recording this on uh march 10th the game is currently on sale until the 15th of march for a dollar and 49 It's fucking way worth it for $1.49. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. it's, it's $15. Wait for it to go on sale. Like, I wouldn't pay $15 for it. I also would say, don't look up the solution. The second you look up the solution... The game falls apart because now every time you you go to the every time you start to play the game, you immediately know what direction on the map you have to go, and and it ruins the exploration parts of it. So I would say if you want to play the game and you want to you know 100% an achievement run it whatever, wait until as late as possible to go ask Google how you actually you know find the moon if you don't figure it out yourself Um, because I did that because I was like, okay, like I want to find the secret ending. Like, so I could talk about it on the game. Um, I Googled it and I was like, Oh, that's, Oh. And then the second I knew it, the next couple of runs that I made, I instantly just went, okay, well I'm just going to do the thing and go. And then it takes the challenge out of the game and it changes the, takes the exploration out of the game and all of those things. Um, so if you get it, don't look up the solution until you're like ready to be done with the game. If you haven't already figured it out, your, it, it out yourself, um, and like wait for it to go on sale. Like it, it's good. It's a rough game. It It feels like it's a game from the mid, you know, 2010s. Um, but that doesn't mean it's bad. I would just say it's just not worth, I would say it's hard to pay $15 for a game that is, you know, seven years old at this point. But Chase, I'm sure you didn't wait until the last second to pick what game you were going to play for the podcast. You probably have something that you've been playing for, like, weeks at a time that you're finally ready to talk with us about. You know,
0: (laughs) what what did you play? Uh, So, here's the thing. I... I've been hinting at this for a long time, so I'm just going to say it. I'm playing Fire Emblem Engage in the background here. It turns out that game is a long game. All the Fire Emblems are, but it's longer when new DLC keeps getting added every month. And the missions are difficult. I'm going to save all of my thoughts on it for later. Um, I also, of course, like I'm waiting for a couple other people to finish it because it's going to be a very special edition of the podcast, but it does mean that I've been in this position for a little bit now where I've been talking about games that I have ultimately played before, right? I like I went to NFL Street 2. I understand <laughs> that I was kind of uh, digging deep, so to speak, um, just to have something to talk about. And I didn't want to do that. I, I wanted to have original experiences that I could talk about on the show. And so I started with League of Enthusiastic Losers, and I played it for its full hour and a bit runtime, and I realized that I couldn't do a full episode on that. So I also played the first tree. (laughs) So I've got two games, which I think makes up for the fact that I am really chugging along on uh, the main game that I am playing right now. Um, But... I guess I should just start with um League of Enthusiastic Losers, because it is a, I mean it's a weird one, I suppose. Um it is a very story-driven game, uh, built around these uh two uh Russians. Um it's 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 made by an independent Russian game designer. Um so you don't have to worry about like an atomic heart situation where the funding's gonna go to some questionable causes. This just seems to be a guy who seems, you know, to be uh, artistically interesting. Um, It is a game set in like late 90s, early 2000s Moscow. So you're still dealing with the kind of post-Soviet transition into the modern Russian era. And it's about these two friends who definitely aren't dating even though they are both men in their late 30s, early 40s who happen to live together and have a pet together and have built a life together, but they're definitely not dating. The game is not willing to say that they're dating. It's it's Russia. What are you going to do? Um, but as far as I'm concerned, you have this, this couple that uh, starts by going to their high school reunion and it is clear that neither of them feels like they have been a success in life. Uh, They feel like uh, their careers have stalled, that they're not able to generate enough income and find enough success in their professional life to have anything to brag about. And, you know, Walter, I've skipped every high school reunion or college reunion I could have possibly gone to um, to avoid exactly the kind of conversations that kick off the plot here. But I think that's something we can all empathize with, right? This idea of not wanting to be seen as a loser just because you have not succeeded in the way that society kind of makes you feel like you should. That's a a good core to build around, right?
1: You mean you weren't a loser in high school?
0: Because I was already a loser loser in high high
1: school. school. So, you know, it's nowhere (laughs) to go from there. It's, It's all up.
0: That's true. We both did musical theater. Now we're on the hey, same hey, page. Hey, hey,
1: hey, No, uh, no, 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 no. This isn't the 90s. We weren't getting shoved into lockers by the jocks, okay?
0: It was the no, I kids. mean, I got shoved into a locker once, but that was while I was <laughs> playing football, so it's a little different. Um, but yeah. Look, I I just, I I was captivated by this idea, right? Like, it's a very human story. They get a dog very early on, and you do get to pet the dog, and it's a very cute dog, so that was definitely a plus. And then, you know, the game happens, and I get what it was trying to do, right? It's a very, like, slice-of-life style story. If anyone likes those kind of -of slice-of-life animes, you understand that, like, The pathos is supposed to come from these just being two normal guys just doing their best. And the landlord is demanding their rent and they don't have the money. And they thought that they had more time, but the landlord's insisting that the money comes through. And so they have to try to find a way to make money. And all of their ideas are terrible. They go treasure hunting at one point. Uh, you'll be shocked to hear that they don't find buried treasure in the park that happens to be next to their house. Um, They get distracted playing with some neighbor kids and you get some cute sequences of like building a little wooden boat for them so that they can go and take it out on a rainy day. And the kids at some point try to help you on your treasure hunt because you've tried to help them and looked out for them while they're, you know, the mom was kind of busy working late into the evening. Um, So it's a very cute story. Um, and it's ultimately one that's resolved very easily. They just, after after failing a security guard job uh, that they really did their best on, but uh, a thief stole a painting, and so they weren't really going to get paid for that one. Um, they have to accept help. They have to accept that their friends are there to support them. And so they turn to this friend who... You know, one of them had kind of an, an emotionally charged conversation with about feeling like she was always second fiddle to the definitely not life partner. Um, but she steps up when sh- they need her and eventually they get their life in order and it all works out. And it's fine. It's, it's cute. It's It's nice. Doesn't Where's the
1: butt? Where's the butt? Come on.
0: <laughs> it's it's not even a butt. It's just it feels missing something. I I mean it's a, it's the problem I guess with a project of its scale. It's only an hour and a half long, which means you don't get a lot of time to spend with these characters. And in the idea of trying to replicate the mundanity of day to day life, you get a lot of like loading screens for the sake of having loading screens like you walk five steps to get to the next layer of a staircase so then you can walk five steps to get to the next layer of a staircase because the place you're trying to get to on the roof to let the plane out is on the top floor and like okay i get that like that's what it's like to climb the stairs i'm playing a video game you could just take me to the roof and i could just be there and i could have the scene with the kids but that's just not how this game works There's not a like big revelatory moment in which some themes really kick in that are going to stick with you. It's just like a, a cute short story. And, you know, there's place for that, right? Like, you know, not every game has to be this diatribe on the nature of existence. Sometimes it's enough to find these two guys who are trying to make their best in a complicated world in which they don't fully fit in, right? Like, why isn't that enough? To which my answer is, I don't know, it, but it's not. Like, it's, it's a, it, it, it does what it's trying to do, and it does no more than that. And that's a shame because I want to like this game more than I do. I appreciate the idea, but what it ultimately is, is a short film that's turned into a video game in practice alone. The loading screens for the sake of loading screens and transitions and whatnot are one part of it. But they're also like, you know, you have to like build the wooden boat, right? And so you have to put the piece in its right spot. There's no challenge to it, right? There's not like any ability to customize the the boat. There's not an ability to screw up the boat. The game won't proceed until you put the boat together correctly. And there's only one way for the boat to be built. So it's gameplay for the sake of gameplay. It's not engaging because you're just dragging a piece into another piece. And, you know, people who like Legos would say, yeah, that's, how you build things. Why do you care? Why why does it matter that like when you have to put some shelves together and put items on the shelf the way that the client wants you to, that you have to put them in the specific space that the client wants? And it's like, there's not a problem. It's just not very gamey. The only choice I had was do I want to pet the dog before I go out the front door and see if the landlord is there or if it's going to be the kid instead? And I don't know. Is that enough to justify a game's existence versus this being a short story or a short film? It, it's the medium in which he chose to tell the story. And if you're a game designer, like you're, it's perfectly reasonable to want to do it that way. It's just like, I wanted more. I wanted more from the game and there just wasn't more to give. So it's cute. It's fine. It does what it wants to do. And if you just want a cute slice of life game with a couple Russians from the late nineties, early two thousands doing their best, then you'll get something out of it. I just, maybe it's just not for me. I don't know. It, it certainly didn't feel like there was enough depth to make an entire podcast segment out of it, which is why we're here.
1: Listen, it's just two guys being dudes. It's two friends being pals. I don't know. I don't know what more you want from them. Um, it seems very much, and and I like to bring up Yahtzee Croshaw, um, because I mean, as a reviewer, he's probably the one that I like have have listened to the most about video games. It's them and uh, Stephanie Sterling, and um it he brings up sometimes with games like it's a walking simulator with extra steps and that's what this feels like Mm -hmm. is this feels like this is probably like you said it's it's a short film it's a short story that they instead made it a video game and i'm never gonna fault someone for that this is um yukon's first published game on steam so i don't know if they've made other games elsewhere um the funniest thing about this chase (laughs) i'm looking at its steam page right And sometimes when you look at a store page, Steam says, is this game relevant to you? Would you like to know the two similar games that I've played to this
0: game? Uh, I would love to hear it. I will tell you mine when you're done telling me yours. Well, one of them you would never guess in a million years. Uh, The
1: first one is Spider-Man Remastered. Okay, interesting. Uh, The second one is South Park, the Fractured Butthole.
0: Okay. I don't think this game is similar I, to
1: either of those.
0: <laughs> no, mine are a little bit closer. I have Disco Elysium and Papers Please, um, which are at least both like thematically Russian to some extent. Um But yeah, like you know, as as a solo developer who is trying some things, right? I, I think it does what it needs to do. I, I don't feel like you know, crapping on a guy's work just because It doesn't have the ambition that maybe I would want for it. But there is a reason I played a second game this week, Walter. And that game is The First Tree. Are you familiar at all with The First Tree? This kind of got a second breath of life during the pandemic. So I'm curious if it ever came across your radar.
1: Uh, I am not. The only thing I know about it is that apparently it is also relevant to uh, Spider-Man Remastered and Cyberpunk. Cyberpunk.
0: See, that's fun because this game, this says, it doesn't look like other things you've played in the past, which is kind of wild because they didn't even try to reach, I suppose. Um, And I've played, it's just, it's another walking simulator. It's another story-based game. And uh, I'm going to summarize it as thus, Walter. How do you feel about sad parent stories?
1: Well, I I played one two weeks ago when I played uh, Hunter of the Call of the Wild, so...
0: It's true. We did not spend as much time talking about the sad dad as we did about the brush through the wilderness. Uh, this game is nothing but a sad dad story. Oh, no. um, and then a slightly different sad mom story that ties into the sad dad story. Oh, no. um, and it's it kind of starts, it's got this very dreamlike nature to it. Um, this This guy wakes up in the middle of the night, he can't sleep, and he's talking to his wife, uh, who's trying to help him talk through how he feels and the struggles he's having, um, and he's he shares this dream that he had about a fox, and the fox is trying to find her missing family, um, and so she's going around the wilderness, searching for clues, and every once in a while, she'll find a location. It'll be lit up on the map and she'll dig for a bit and it'll uncover some relic of this guy's past. You know, it'll it'll be like a wooden car and it'll be like, this was a toy my dad made for me when I was a kid and all the kids at school made fun of me for it. So in show and tell, I just pretended that it was a joke gift instead and my dad could tell that I was embarrassed by it and it made him sad. It's like, yeah that's that would be sad. Um, kids are mean. that's totally true. Um, but you get like uh you get a story about like his dad was in the army at some point, point. Um, and the wife's like, "Oh, I didn't know that about him, And as soon as that detail is revealed, you're like walking through the scenery, and suddenly there's just a tank coming out of the snow, like the entire world to meet that kind of dreamlike vibe is shaped by these memories that he is connecting to. And so I tried this when I was visiting my family for Christmas and I was playing, my My sister was there and it bounced off of me. Uh, I'll be honest. I, I, I played it for about an hour. I got through about one and a half worlds and it was like, oh, this is like your stereotypical sad dad story. Um... But I gave it another shot. One, because it was short. But two, because I feel like those kind of narrative-focused games are a lot harder when you are in mixed company, especially with people who aren't exactly narratively driven. And I did find that the second time around, there were parts of it that clicked with me. Um, It's very easy to connect to stories of feeling disconnection. Um, if you've ever struggled in your relationship with your parents, then the stories of him as a teenager feeling very misunderstood, a dad overworked, unable to give his son the support that he needed to get on a better, healthier track. Um, the like moments that they share in which they're finally able to reconcile a bit but they leave on bad terms and their relationship remains strained until if this is not, it's a spoiler, but you can guess by the fact that this game exists where this is going. It's too late. His dad is dead now. And all of the things that he recognizes now about his past self and the things that he wishes he had said, the, Uh, the things that he now as a father understands it's too late to go back and he has that question of like how can I be a good father when I was never even a good son and there's something poignant to that
1: listen I'm not crying over here already and I haven't even played the game Um, uh, so, uh, yeah, story, story aside, because I, I can totally understand where like trying to play it in an environment where there's a lot of distraction and you can't sit with a game like this and really try and let everything, you know, settle on you and actually feel those moments and understand where they're coming from. Um, I mean, it says right on here, popular user defined tags for this product walking simulator so what is the difference between this and the other game that makes this i guess more approachable or a better game
0: some of it i think it's the little touches um the sound design is better and more interesting the soundtrack for this game is quite nice it hits the nature theme really well Um, going through all these different woods, it does feel like you're on a journey. I would argue there's a lot of, I don't want to quite say filler because that implies that like being in the world is not like the point, right? Getting from one destination to the next and the gap in between where you're just kind of collecting these little white dots that go along the way that are meant to kind of guide you towards the next objective. Um, that's intentional, right? They want you to take that in. They want you to take the time to listen to the full memory that he's going back through instead of just rushing from one to the next to the next to the next. Um, and, you know, the environments are are very pretty. Um, it, it's a game that was originally designed for mobile devices, and you can tell. It's, it's stylized. Um, and so I, I think it gets away with some things that maybe some... You know, less indie games would not. Um, but there are parts of it that look really beautiful. And the, and the game does a really good job of actually making use of the kind of pop-in difficulties that it has, right? It's a very classic problem with indie games, right? The rendering distance to have a, an entire woods present itself in front of you. Uh, indie games aren't going to be as efficient on the programming in order to do that at scale. So they do a really good job in some sections of like having the woods kind of appear around you of trying to get this sense that the world is reacting to you and your emotional state when your wolf finds um one of her kids, which again spoiler alert doesn't go very well um her hen her head hangs low, and the music accompanies that. And you can't run anymore. You can't speed up. You're just kind of having to live with that because that's what loss is. Those are the kinds of touches that the first game really could have benefited from, right? These kind of environmental changes to reflect the atmosphere from a visual perspective, from a music perspective, And from a character perspective, the fox does not speak, but you learn more about the fox just from the way that she moves around the world from her desire to constantly complete these puzzles that I will admit at some points were just kind of frustrating. There's uh, one section that even like the guide that I looked up to try to figure it out got confused for like five minutes because it's very unintuitive where the next spot is. And even when I found it, I thought for sure that I had, like, found it out of order or that I had missed something because it starts in a way that feels like it's, like, picking back up on a storyline that didn't start, you know? It's like, it like it almost felt like it was starting mid-story, but I looked around and I couldn't find anything to reflect that, so I think maybe it's just slightly awkward in the scripting at that spot. But, like you're not there for the platforming. It's a thing that's there to keep you engaged as a gamer and there's, you know, like a couple sections that introduce their own unique mechanics so that each level feels different, but that's not the part of this that I remember. What I remember is when the the narrator is at his lowest and he doesn't know how to move forward after this loss and his wife starts telling the story about her relationship with her father, which spoiler alert, didn't go very well. There's kind of a theme here. Um, It went wrong in a completely different way, but the point of her story was that you don't have to deal with this alone. And as soon as you come out of that, you escape this kind of like dreamlike state with the the night sky around you, and you're kind of racing on this like little bit of water, um, and you come back to the world, and you are surrounded by all of these different animals, and you're not alone. And it's a beautifully set moment. It's it's perfectly timed. The music swells exactly the way it needs to, and thematically really resonates. And you need that kind of moment for a game like this to work, where the environment and everything that supports the actual game part of the game comes together to elevate the narrative beat. And yes, this is trying to be a more emotional story than the first one is, right? The the first one is just more of a slice of life kind of thing. This is much more of a, I want to talk about this thing that happened to me. And I, I actually find it really cool the developer here Uh, is also the voice actor and his wife is the wife in this game they play different character names and i'm not exactly sure how much of it is based off of their real life though it sure feels very personally inspired and i think that makes a difference it's it's those little touches that the second time around clicked with me and there's something beautiful about it and about the relationship to death that it comes to, you know, not to, to get too heavy or whatever, but we recently, uh, you know, we, I had a a family friend pass away recently and I, my mom was going through it and I used one of the quotes from this game as like a, Hey, here's some, some things that this game said. And, the influences that the game pulled from and I hope it brings you some sort of peace and it helped if you're processing loss if you're looking for a game with the pathos to understand that feeling the first tree is worth playing so it
1: sounds like you uh it sounds like you recommend this game highly then
0: i recommend it Highly is a strong word, and i it's not really the game's fault. Again, it was designed for mobile first, and if I was playing on mobile, I'd probably be a little bit more kind to some of the technical stuff I did rock into. There's some things that aren't particularly intuitive, and there are some places... You know, I said that there were some places in which the game does a really good job of handling its pop-in in order to make it work thematically. There are also a lot of places where it just doesn't, where you can tell the limitations that the game has... I I don't think it matters at the end of the day. It resonates. It has something it wants to say. It has a way in which it wants to tell its story. And the story matters. You know, I can say that like Spiritfarer is still the best game I've ever played to deal with the topic of death and loss. And I do believe that Spiritfarer is one of the greatest games I've ever played in my life. But the first tree is powerful. It deserves to be remembered. It deserves a spot in the echelon of indie games. You know, it, it says on its Steam page, it compares itself to Journey, Firewatch, and Shelter. And this might be sacrilege to some people, but I connected to this way more than I connected to Firewatch in the brief time I tried to play that game. Um, I, It clicked for me. And I think whatever flaws it may have, if that's the kind of story that you want to experience, if it's the kind of story that resonates with you, it's worth playing. And I'm thankful that I played it. And I guess if I'm saying that, then yeah, I suppose that I do highly recommend the game. Um, if I if that's not enough to highly recommend something, what would be, I suppose. So yeah, absolutely. I would play that um, and I would follow the... Uh, extra uh the guy who made the league of enthusiastic losers to see what his next game is the next game will be better than that game is the first tree is great as it is just a really well done game if
1: chase hasn't convinced you on the first tree i would like to take this excerpt from the first which is the website for the game all the way down at the bottom it says have a question I've spent the last several years being very accessible and answering as many questions as I can, but right now I'm taking a break and disconnecting from the internet for a bit. Thank you for all the nice messages the past five years; it means a lot. If you'd like to learn more about me and my background, check out this fact or search for interviews like the ones found in Nintendo Life or Game Reactor. If you're having technical issues, be sure to check out the pinned topics on the Steam forums. If you're unhappy with your purchase, please contact the relevant storefront for a refund. With all that being said. If you'd like to mail me a physical letter, I'd love to read it. David Whirl, well, and then his address. A guy that's willing to put his address out there and says, please send me a physical letter. I might buy this game just for that. Like I might never play it, but that dude deserves my money.
0: (laughs) Well, and you want to hear the best part? He actually stayed away from the internet. Guy hasn't tweeted since December of 2021. He did it. He disconnected. He did the thing that none of us are capable of doing. He's putting his real life first. Good for that guy. Um, and it's, I, it's on Switch. It's on Steam. It's on mobile. It's Go play it. Go play First Tree. Um, let me know what you think when you do. I, I think it's... I'm very glad I gave it a second shot. And it's like, it's three hours. You got, you have three hours. You listen to this podcast for one hour. You've got three hours to play the first tree. I, I firmly believe in that. And I firmly believe, Walter, that this has been a fun episode of the podcast. I hope all of our listeners agree on that. Uh, If they do, and they wanted to find you on the, the social media apps that unlike David, well, we have not escaped from where can the folks at home find you?
1: Uh, So you guys can send physical letters to (laughs) one Pennsylvania Avenue, Washington, DC. I don't know the zip code. Look it up. Uh, No, you guys can find me at CADs underscore LOL. You guys can find the podcast at Rough Drafts Pod. Uh, Please listen and follow along on your favorite podcasting service of choice, whether it is the main Rough Drafts podcast feed or the Steam Cleaners or Final Cut feeds. Uh, it, it It was a fantastic podcast. And honestly, folks, three hours. You'd much rather play the first tree. Then constantly play against Thanos, Lockjaw, or Shuri and Marvel Snap. Go, go. <laughs> trust me, they'll still be there when you get back to Marvel Snap. Go play the first tree instead; it'll be a better experience.
0: It absolutely will. Uh, you can find me at Chase Welser on Twitter for the podcast at Rough Drafts Pod. You know, when we're not doing this on Mondays, we do this cool thing called Final Cut, where we watch. Uh, a new film every week. Uh, we've been doing a lot of uh, Oscar films recently. I know the Oscars are over by the time you're listening to this, but if you want to hear our thoughts on any of the big films where we agree, where we absolutely do not, um, it's uh, it's a fun ride that I highly check out. And if not, just stay tuned to the Steam Cleaners feed. Uh, that'll That'll keep you going the next time that we bring you two entirely new games that we'll talk about. But until then, goodbye, Internet.